Well, two of the best known and most stunning prophecies in the Bible are essentially birth announcements. And for those of you who like a bit of highbrow music, they both feature in Handel's Messiah as well. So in Isaiah chapter 7, there's the Emmanuel prophecy. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. But today we're going to be focusing on the opening verses of chapter 9 of Isaiah, which says, to us, a child is born, a son is given. And here's what the passage says. And I'm actually going to start it a verse or two beforehand to give you a bit of, bit of context, because our, our chapter 9 starts with the word nevertheless. So you've got to really understand what goes before it. It says this, distressed and hungry, people will roam through the land when they are famished and will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look towards the earth and only see distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. It's a pretty dark passage, isn't it? And then it says this, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. That's in the north of Israel. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, it is when Gideon, with an army of 300, overcame a massive army of Midian. As in the day of that defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. He's saying there's going to be no more war. All the army uniforms will be not needed anymore. And he says this, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now that as we look at it together, you will just give us the help of the Holy Spirit. Prophecy is not always easy to understand. These are some of the hardest bits of the Bible for us to really grapple with. So help us, Lord, we pray, and help us to draw near to you as we delve into your word together. Amen. Right, well, over the next four weeks, running up to Christmas here at King's, we're going to be zooming in on four of the descriptive titles that Isaiah 
gives to the coming Messiah in this prophecy I've just read to you. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And today we're going to be looking particularly at these two words, wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. But so as to help us um, see and savor the full force and majesty of this prophecy, I need to go over just a little bit of background with you. See, when Isaiah spoke these words about, um, about maybe 750 years before Jesus was born, he was living in what had been about 200 years earlier, a great and prosperous nation under David and Solomon. It was the envy of the world. By his time, though, 200 years on, Israel was diminished. It was in acute decline. It was torn apart by civil war and actually had divided into two nations, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. It was squeezed and humbled by rival powers on all its borders. It was under increasing threats from the growing superpowers to the northeast, dominant empires, Assyria and Babylon. And the people of God at the time of Isaiah were led by a corrupt and weak king, a man called Ahaz. And under Ahaz's leadership, God's people suffered military defeats and national humiliations. It was a terribly dark and dismal time. The nation was almost constantly at war and invariably on the losing side. Ahaz, this king, didn't listen to the prophets. He didn't take any notice whatsoever of scripture. He was into the occult, big time. He bowed down to idols. He actually made the worship of the living God illegal and locked the doors of the temple. He even offered some of his own children as a human sacrifice to the pagan god Molech. And that's why Isaiah talks about this atmosphere of pessimism and gloom and darkness, about people walking in deep, deep darkness, living in this land where it's just so heavy. See, Isaiah's world was spiritually terrible, such a gloomy and depressing place to live in. But as chapter 9 begins of his prophecy, against all the odds and out of nowhere, he says, there's going to be no more gloom, verse 1. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned, verse 2. To us a child is born. Good news, a son is given. Verse 6. Now, predicting the sex of an unborn child, when you think about it, is not that difficult, is it? There's a 50% chance of getting it right and a 50% chance, obviously, of getting it wrong. I guessed that our first child would be a boy. As it happens, we had a little girl, Anna. I then predicted that our three other children, in turn, would each be girls. They were all boys. You can see, uh, unlike Susan this morning, I have not been blessed with the gift of a prophetic ministry. But Isaiah was. Isaiah was. And he said, there's going to be a royal baby, and it'll be a boy. 
verse 6. And he got it right first time. Well, like I said, 50-50, not particularly difficult to get that one right. But then afterwards, the odds of his prophecy coming true uh, lengthen considerably. Isaiah also says where the child is going to be from. Verse 1, he says, God is going to honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea. This is where the light is going to shine. In other words, this child who comes into the world will be associated not with southern Israel, but with the north. Nobody important came from the north in Isaiah's time. The center of power and the engine of the economy were, like in the UK today, down south. That's where all the decisions were made. And Isaiah said, that's going to be changing. The center of power is moving north. Now, at the same time Isaiah was speaking, there was another prophet called Micah. And Micah was saying, look, there's going to be a new baby, a great ruler, our Messiah. And he will be from the south. He'll be born in a little town called Bethlehem, about 80 miles from Galilee. See, some people look at Isaiah 9 and Micah chapter 5 and they say, ah, you see? You see how the Bible contradicts itself? One of them says the Messiah is going to be up north. The other one says he's going to be from down south. Well, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, wasn't he? As Matthew and Luke clearly say in the Gospels. And they explain how there was going to be a new, well, there was a new Roman poll tax, an international census, which were perfectly timed to get a heavily pregnant woman all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem at precisely the right time when the star appeared so that Micah's prophetic word would be unerringly fulfilled in meticulous detail. But after that, after a little, a little uh, sejour in uh, Egypt, Jesus grew up and lived most of his life in Galilee, as the New Testament also attests. He was actually known as Jesus of Nazareth. It's up north, Nazareth. And the focus of his ministry was mostly around and even on the Sea of Galilee. You see, God watches over his word. You know, predicting the future isn't very easy. In 1962, the Decca Record Company rejected the Beatles. They took a look at their music and they said, we don't like their sound and guitar music is on the way out. In 1977, Ken Olson, chairman of the Digital Equipment Company, said, there is no reason on earth why anyone would want a computer in their home. But when God predicts the future, it's always spot on. Bang on. See, the editors of the World Christian Encyclopedia once conducted a remarkable study. They went through the whole Bible, page by page, and they listed 735 separate and different future predictions. And they noted that predictive prophecy amounts to roughly 27% of, of all Bible verses. And then with an open Bible and a stack of history books and some learned historians, 
they learned that 596 of the 735 prophecies have already been verifiably fulfilled. That's about 81% already fulfilled. And of the 19% of biblical prophecies that have not yet been fulfilled, that's about 139 different predictions, most of them are about the end of the world and the return of Jesus Christ in glory. In other words, God is very careful to fulfill every prophecy of this book. And he will honor every promise in it as well. If you read and mark in your Bibles every promise in God's word to you. Because he will do what he said he will do, and you can count on it. And this is important for some of you to hear today. God's word is true. It's true. You can believe his promises to you. He says, I will be with you to the end of the world. And he will. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That's his promise to you. He will not leave nor forsake you. He will complete the good work that he began in you. Nothing can or will separate you from his love. These are copper-bottomed promises guaranteed by Jesus himself. Precious promises. So don't let appearances to the contrary let you lose your focus. Is it north? Is it south? It's both. It's both. You can trust his word to you. God knows what he's talking about. Well, Isaiah doesn't give a name for this newborn king. He just says that when he comes, it'll be as light in darkness, and he will bring an end to the spiritual gloom wherever he goes and whoever meets him. And Jesus has about 200 different names and titles. Uh, it's more than any other figure in world history, actually. Uh, one of them is Light of the World. It's a title he gave to himself. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's a fulfillment of these prophetic words in Isaiah 9. And four more of Jesus' names and titles are listed here. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the one we're looking at today is Wonderful Counselor. We use the word wonderful uh, today to describe actually the most mundane of experiences, don't we? Uh, we have wonderful weather on holiday. Uh, what a wonderful goal that was, or wonderful save. Wonderful, wonderful Copenhagen. These new underpants fit me wonderfully. But Isaiah says, no, when people encounter this Messiah, they will marvel. They will be filled with wonder. And the word he uses in Hebrew, I learned this week, is pele, P-E-L-E. Alec Matia, in his brilliant 
commentary, 550 pages of commentary on the prophecy of Isaiah, says this word translated wonderful means it's really out of the ordinary. It's used 54 times in the Old Testament to describe the awesome, majestic acts of God. And he says there when it's talking about God's, God's uh, marvels, he says the sense is supernatural. It's, a, it's confounding human knowledge. It's unfathomable. It's miraculous. This is what the word wonderful means. And when you read the Gospels, you see time and again how fittingly this word is to describe Jesus. People were indeed amazed and astounded at his miraculous works. They said, we've never seen anything like this before in our lives. Who is this man? Jesus kept having to tell people, don't tell anyone what you've seen today. But they couldn't stop themselves. They had to tell others what they had seen and heard. Word about Jesus spread like wildfire. They marveled at his wisdom. Whenever he spoke, people said, this man speaks like no one else. He speaks with such authority. He's not like the scribes and the teachers of the law. It was nothing like the dreary, sanctimonious droning they were used to. People hung on his every word and came from miles to see him. Whenever he opened his mouth, the atmosphere around him was just electric. Wonderful. And Jesus is still wonderful today. Nicky Gumbel of the Alpha Course tells the story of Gene Smith from Cumbran in South Wales. Jean was in her mid-60s and she'd been blind for 16 years. And uh, she could only go out with the aid of a walking stick and a, and a guide dog. And what happened to her in her mid-40s, an infection had eaten away at the retinas, the mirrors at the back of your eyes. And if that happens, well, that's it. You can't replace them. And not only had she lost her sight, she was in constant pain. And she went on an alpha course to learn more about Jesus. And on the day away to focus on the Holy Spirit, she noticed all of a sudden, halfway through the day, that her pain was gone in her eyes. That's the first time she was pain-free for a long time. And she went to church the following day to give thanks to God. And while she was there, the minister said, well, let me anoint you with oil. So she said, okay. And as she wiped away the oil from her eyes, to her amazement, she could see the communion table in front of her. See, Jesus had miraculously healed her. She hadn't seen her husband for 16 years. She was actually amazed at how white his beard had become in that time. She'd never before seen her daughter-in-law. She'd only heard her and felt her, touched her. Her six-year-old grandson, he used to guide her around the puddles, hold her hand to avoid her getting wet feet. And uh, she was talking about the fact she could see now. He didn't need to do it. He said, who done that, Gran? She said, Jesus made me better. He said, I hope you said thank you, Gran. She said, I will never stop saying thank you for what has happened in my life. This is Jesus in the UK today. This is, what he's, this is what he's like. This is what he does. 
This is who we've been worshipping this morning. And if you know Jesus personally, you will know from experience how wonderfully life-changing an encounter with him is. Everything about him is, always was, and always will be truly wonderful. He will be called Wonderful. Counselor. Wonderful counselor. It may seem a bit of a strange title, really. Counselor. What do counselors do? If you've ever had counseling, you know that they listen to you. They encourage you. They show you understanding. And counselors also help their clients to see the issues they face, they face in, a, in a more clear, in a, more, in a different way. And the bottom line is that counselors help broken people get mended, don't they? They help messed up people get sorted. It's why we have trauma counselors. Uh, we have marriage guidance counselors. We have hospital counselors. We have career counselors, bereavement counselors, divorce counselors postnatal counsellors, people needing help. All of us are broken in some way. All of us carry pain in our lives. We all carry disappointment and shame. We all have wounds. Most of them are under the surface. Nobody else can see them, but we know we have them. Good counsellors also give really trustworthy advice. If you have a really big decision to make, you know how priceless good advice that you can count on is. We all need wisdom that we can trust. It's why mountaineers, when they go up Everest, they look for guides, Sherpas to, to go with them. It's why leaders seek out mentors to get better at leadership. It's why sportsmen and sportswomen value good coaches it's why government ministers have advisors. It's why big business hires consultants. It's why the Queen has a privy council. Now, looking back over 2021, we're nearly at the end of it now. For many of us, it's been a, it's been a year of disappointments, really. Dashed hopes. Uh, a vaccine is rolled out for COVID-19, only to find it doesn't really work in the way many people hoped and expected. We've seen Western nations finally pull out of Afghanistan after 20 years of costly, really costly nation building, only to see the Taliban back in control within days of leaving. We've seen England at last get to the final of a football tournament only to lose on yet another penalty shootout. See, we, we live in a disappointing world. We live undoubtedly in a more complex world than ever before. Uh, the stresses and strains on families and relationships and on education and on healthcare and on the economy and the environment, they just feel overwhelming to us sometimes. I sometimes feel for our world leaders. They arrive in office on a wave of optimism and euphoria only to discover when they get behind their desk, they don't know how to start facing the challenges 
that they have. This is why the Bible says we should pray for our leaders, pray for sound judgment. They have to find solutions to impossible situations. The world needs wise counsel. The world yearns for someone who is marked with greatness and understanding and gravitas, who just gets it and brings clarity and light. Someone who just sees into the heart of every problem there is. Someone who gives you belief that the unsolvable can be solved. Basically, the world needs Jesus and his wisdom. And again, the New Testament, the Gospels give us abundant testimony about how perfectly Jesus fulfills this prophecy as counselor. People constantly try to trap him with trick questions and impossible conundrums. And Jesus always saw through the motive behind every question. He understood the issue. He knew what to do about it and how to say it in plain language that ordinary people understood. How often did Jesus ever say, uh, mm, I'll have to get back to you about that one. I'm not really sure. When did Jesus ever say in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to be honest, I'm out of ideas on this one. And if you know Jesus personally, you know from experience that he is the source of life-giving wisdom. This is my testimony after four decades and more of following Jesus. The more, this is what I found, the more I have laid my life's decisions before him in prayer, the more light I saw in my darkness. There's a beautiful scene in the Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian, where Aslan, Aslan is this sort of Christ-like lion, appears to this little girl, Lucy, and it's the first time she's seen him in quite a while. And he says, welcome, child. Aslan, says Lucy, you're bigger. And Aslan says, that is because you are older, little one. And Lucy doesn't quite understand that. She thinks, wait a minute, Aslan would look bigger because he is older, wouldn't he? And Aslan says to her, I am not. I'm not older. But he says this, every year you grow, you will find me bigger. In other words, as we grow in faith, day by day, year by year, Jesus will seem to us greater, truer, wiser, and more glorious. He truly is our wonderful counselor. Well, at the first Christmas, a child was born and a son was given, and he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Do you need to hear his wisdom in your life today? Do you feel lost? And confused. Have you come here today feeling about a particular situation in your life? Do you know? I don't know where to turn. Where to go. Do you need to hear the utterly dependable voice?
of wonderful counsellor whose words just bring light. His name is Jesus and he's here in this place today. If you're able to stand, we'd like to stand as we pray. Holy Spirit of God, we just welcome you to minister to us this morning. I want to encourage you as we welcome the Holy Spirit to minister amongst us. Personally welcome him into your world now. We welcome you, Lord. We thank you. If you're struggling with a a decision you need to make, a relationship that's not working, finances that don't add up, you don't know where to look for help. Just bring it to Jesus now. Wonderful counsel. If you're facing the impossible and the unsolvable, it's not impossible for Jesus. It's not unsolvable for him. The Bible says nothing is impossible with God. Just bring it to him now. Just offer it. Just He says, take my burdens and I'll take yours. His burden is light. Anything heavy you're carrying, just leave it with him right now. I encourage you to do that. Holy Spirit, we invite you, we ask you to bring and minister to us healing and blessing. A word which just brings light to darkness. Lift the darkness, we pray. We've been seeing this morning just how your word is dependable and true. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever walks with me, follows me, will never walk in darkness. We claim that promise this morning. And we thank you. Amen. Amen.